morning and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for March 27th, 25th. <laughs> I almost want to say 2015 for some reason. 2016. I wrote this thing down on my cheat sheet. <clears throat> well, Easter. This is Koyo Kubose here. So glad you joined us. Easter is a big holiday. Or particularly, of course, for Christians. and But it's a cultural event. Everybody gets new outfits and so forth. In fact, I saw a neighbor's dog, sort of a white, whitish poodle. Ears and tail were dyed pink, <laughs> all decked out. Well, how do Buddhists interpret? I recall my father, the late Reverend Gyorme Kubose, talk about it in this manner. Well, first of all, he said, Jesus, this was in his words, but uh, exact words, Jesus had something, you know, inside, some kind of a a force, some kind of a, I don't mean to put a, a, a Buddhistic interpretation on this, on, on what has become a tremendous Christian interpretation. Um, but from a Buddhist perspective, he had his hongan, like a primal vow or wish, something that was beyond him, beyond power, beyond him. Um, Sometimes my father would use the example of, uh, you know, universal life that's just bubbling out through an individual's life. It's not his decision or volition. It's like a, a underground river that comes bubbling up to the surface, or a flower blooming, or the birds just singing. Uh, and he had this kind of life, and nothing could obstruct him. They could crucify him, and he had to live this life. It wasn't his choice, really, in that sense of the word. And carried across to Calvary. uh, And then uh, resurrection. My father would say that uh, Buddhist interpretation Speaking of the Christian experience, would say Easter is not just about an event in Jesus' life. It's not just an event that occurred so many years ago in a certain geographical place. This is a, a universal religious holiday. By universal religious holiday, I mean that he would say that's individual. Christian, it's a call, it's a challenge to say, when you celebrate Easter, don't do it as a, just as only a historical event, because it's not only about Jesus' resurrection. It has 
to be your own individual spiritual rebirth too. And if it doesn't have that, then this has no real spiritual significance whatsoever. Christian, this is the Buddhist take on it, or teaching offered to make them a true, deep, sincere Christian themselves. That's the Buddhist take on it. Not to substitute in something else or, or better than or the truth or whatever. Huh? Um, there's a um, parallel. It's briefly talking about the associated random, associate, not random, but associations off the top of my head. Uh, and I know Trinity. There's a trinity in Christianity and in Buddhism that are very uh, parallel. I don't want to say too similar because I know some people may object. Uh, But I think it's an amazing parallel. Of course, Christianity, the very central trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in Buddhism, there's the trikaya. Tri means, T-R-I means three, and kaya, K-A-Y-A, means body, bodies of the Buddha. By three body meaning three representations or expressions. Um, And in Buddhism, uh, what corresponds to the Christian trinity of the Father Sort of like the source, Dharma Kaya. And again, Kaya is the body. So this is the body of the Dharma. Uh, Dharma Kaya means the, the absolute, timeless, formless. So, in a sense, this is like the Christian Father, God. Okay, the Father means God. This is this is the source. This is the core and then the second part of the trinity is the son this is Jesus this is the historical station expression of the human life the, the historical Jesus look at that just in a more limited focus don't put his divinity in yet he has not been resurrected okay. Jesus is life he was born he died and in the Buddhist Trikaya, you have the Nirmanakaya. Nirmanakaya means the uh, historical Buddha. How is manifested? The manifested body. You can see it. Okay, flesh and blood. This is Siddhartha Gautama, the historical person. I didn't say Gautama Buddha. I said it's Siddhartha Gautama. No Buddha yet. <laughs> okay. This is a historical person, born, died, human being. Because of what this son, this manifested body in the historical person, Siddhartha Gautama, what they experienced, 
in life gave rise to the third part of the Trinity. And in Christianity, it's the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, something that is a source. Of course, the deepest source is from God and through gave his only son and he was crucified, resurrected, and he became Christ. Jesus became Christ. Christ is all mankind. Christ is something universal. And when Siddhartha Gautama became enlightened, he became the Sambodagaya, the enjoyment body is the usual translation. Something was let loose into the world that was in the heart of the historical Siddhartha Gautama. That wisdom and compassion, deepest compassion, perfect wisdom. It's idealized, of course. These are idealized, perfect spiritual qualities was was let loose to help human beings enjoy life. There you reap the benefits. Hey, it goes all over. Sometimes they may help to say the time uh, in the time dimension. Uh, the the Dharmakaya and also God as a, as a parallel in Christianity had had no beginning and no end. It's timeless. And then the sun and the Nirmanakaya, the historical person, had a beginning and an end. And then the Holy Spirit and Sambodagaya, the enjoyment body of the Buddha, had a beginning, but it has no end. So those three in the time dimension are no beginning, no end for the first part of the Trinity. As a beginning and an end, birth and death, in the second part of the Trinity and the Kaya, Trikaya, and then the third one is, as I said, it happened, it had a beginning. In Jesus' life experiences and Siddhartha Gautama's experiences, and Jesus became Christ, and Gautama became Buddha. Something, you, you know, and that was let loose, and it's going to go, and it has no end. Well, <laughs> pretty, pretty scholarly stuff, but those are my thoughts on Easter. And I also sometimes think about Jesus' life and some liberal Christian scholars. Um, you know, sometimes uh, there's a whole dimension, Christianity itself, in terms of liberal orthodox and so forth. Some people <clears throat> that, from my personal perspective, uh, uh, is very attractive is where they look at uh, the historical aspects just as a so- an aside important aside really Buddhism is really ahistorical it really doesn't rest upon Siddhartha Gautama whether somebody says well what, this, did he really exist <laughs> or something's exaggerated or something this didn't happen in history actually that's not crucial for for Buddhism and for all where Buddhists to come. In Christianity, they really emphasize the historical. This is the truth. This is the facts. Okay? And 
they use that as the basis for it. That's why it's the truth, and you must believe it. It's in the Bible, and everything there is you know, a little more. The source of authority and the dogmatism is there, which is it has its pros and cons and trade-offs. Anyway, history versus historical emphasis are different in the two religions. But I look at the even the historical aspect of Jesus' life, the liberal Christian scholars, they do what they call a red-letter Bible, where they underline the sentences, the passages uh, in red that are um, of all the, the majority of the Christian scholars would agree this is historical truth. Jesus said this. That would be their judgment. Then there was another color for uh, those ca- category of comments and accounts and so forth that is in the gray area. He might have, but it's not real conclusive. And then the third category was those things that were attributed to Jesus that mo- most of the majority of the Christian scholars would say, no, this was fabricated later. Fabricated is not the right word, but added later. It was not part of Jesus's historical Jesus's life and you know, what he said and what he did. The other last point about it is that, um, uh, again, liberal Christian scholars that wrote about Jesus's life, and they really give it a, I don't know what you would call it, a humanistic, uh, down-to-earth, practical, common-sense interpretation. They don't throw, throw out, they don't challenge the, the orthodox views. They just give it a bit different interpretation. They don't throw it out and say, nah, that's not, that, that, otherwise you're not a Christian. But what they do say is things like miracles. This is my best to remember from this when I read this book. I don't know who it was by. Okay. Uh, Christian, maybe I think a professor at the Loyola University or something. He said, well, take the example of miracles. Now, some people, uh, Christians might say, Orthodox might say, see, these miracles, this happened, this was documented in history, and therefore it shows his divinity and so forth. But this scholar said, take, for example, where it said Jesus cured the leper. And his interpretation was that there was a historical event, uh, but Jesus identified so much with the, the poor, the hungry, the, the sick, and he had a message. Okay? In a way, sort of similar to the to Siddhartha Gautama's revolutionary social impact of his teachings of against the caste system in India. He, he put something, what he had, in tremendous communication skills into those people around him right away. So powerful. And in the case of a leper, he said, hey, you don't be judged. Don't, there's no stigma. Don't let other people You've got something in you that makes you of absolute value, unique, unconditional value as a human being. And that must have been a powerful measure, uh, uh, teaching to, message to liberate the leper from the stigma of his leprosy. He was reborn. He was a new person. Uh, 
and that's what that's what when it said Jesus cured the leper, he didn't mean literal physical curing of the disease. He meant a spiritual liberation and curing. Something like that. I think it's a tremendous thing. Oh boy, oh boy. Uh, I'd like to introduce today's guest to give us a Dharma glimpse. This is Linda Soyo, who uh, was part of our LM5 group in 2013. She and her husband, David, lives in Wisconsin, and they went through the program together. I always say we had several couples go through the program together, and it was not really nice. And so, yo, Dharma name given to her is uh, the yo, of course, is the, the sun, the bright dawn, and the show is a smile. For some reason, during the course of uh, the program, two years, get to know them, and something about the smile uh, was important to her and so forth. And not just the social smile, not just the superficial aspects of a smile, but Whenever you see a picture or statue of the Buddha, he has that slight smile. Slight meaning, you know, that this is something deep. It's a spiritual smile. It reflects the spirituality. Something's in there that's solid. That's okay? um, to be able to do that kind of smile. So even on your deathbed. You could smile and say, hey, everything's okay. Even when things are not going okay, hey, you're terminal. How you bring that absolute into the relative world, that oneness right there, very dynamic aspect, that kind of smile. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I get carried away with the extraneous comments, but let's listen to Linda. Thank you, Reverend Coyo, for inviting me to share my Dharma glimpse today. For the past couple of months, I have been deeply desiring peace of mind. So don't we all want that? But I said to myself, I want this above all else. Then I was looking into the mind and seeing all the ways that were blocking peace of mind from happening. I noticed how judgmental I could be. I noticed I had grievances towards others that I was harboring. I noticed all the times I was seeing separation instead of oneness. I was noticing all the ways I was holding on to past beliefs about myself, all the ways I had internalized messages from others and carried them into the present. I had internalized beliefs about my own unworthiness and noticed how I still believed this. I also noticed how I was projecting into the future with worry and trying to make plans for uncertainties. All this was robbing me of peace of mind, and I realized that only when I am in the present moment, the now moment, can I really experience peace. If I am not experiencing peace, I could be certain that my thoughts are focused on the past or the future. In the present, nothing really seems to be happening except life unfolding. So the present political arena seems to be robbing me, especially the messages that are coming from Trump. But then I have to ask myself, am I a victim of others? 
Can anyone really take away my peace, even someone like Trump? Am I not at peace about what seems to be going on in the primaries because of what they are saying? Or am I not at peace because of what I think about what they are saying? So once again, I have to go forward and examine my thoughts. What is in the mind that is being reflected by these candidates? I accuse some of the candidates of being racist. So I have to ask, where am I holding prejudicial thoughts in my mind? Where am I harboring thoughts that are attacks on others? Where am I seeing separation and duality? All this is coming from my mind, and the politicians are only a mirror for showing me where I have to clean up my own act. So then the question comes up, how am I supposed to respond or act in terms of these primaries? Should I get out and protest? Should I use the Internet to voice my opinion? Should I not vote and say the whole system is corrupt? There is a song I learned that is titled, Let There Be Peace on Earth and Let It Begin With Me. If I go out and protest or make my voice heard, am I helping the situation if I come from an angry mind and start attacking those that have opposing views? Or can I change my thinking and go out from a peaceful mind and see peace instead of adding to the fear? Can I look at those who are fearful of the future with compassion? Can I see a world calling for love and answer with love and not divisiveness? Can I cultivate the qualities inherent in Buddhism and see my own Buddha nature and those of others instead of seeing them in their fearful personality aspects? I do have the tools to do this with the Eightfold Path, which is the path through suffering and helps me to remove the obstacles to peace. The Eightfold Path is a guide to transform suffering. I read in the book Basic Buddhist Concepts that as long as thought is right, speech, action, and livelihood will also be right. So again, before I act, I have to look at what are the thoughts in my mind. Are they coming from fear or from peace and compassion? Looking into my mind first is cultivating right-mindedness, and this can be accomplished by a meditative practice and filling my mind of all that is not peaceful? Am I willing to make the effort to heal my mind first before trying to fix the world? As I said, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. This is how I choose to use time, and hopefully when I come from the peaceful state, it will have peaceful effects. So thank you for listening. I'm done. Thank you very much. Really really a nice message for us, very timely, and uh, I think it's so much, uh, I know that Linda Shoyo was an activist in the 70s, you know, old turbulent 60s, and uh, was socially, was a social activist, Um, but how you do it, not what you do, and it's not saying, oh, Buddhists are passive, and don't engage in any engaged Buddhism. Uh, but how you do it? And I think a good example is Thich Nhat Hanh, who, and the and Buddha too. They they made a tremendous impact on social fabric. Came from a deep base of inner peace, a kind of wide, deep perspective that okay, so. That kind of a, 
they weren't just concentrating on the end. You know, the end justifies the means, or the means are crucial. You got to live the means. Let it peace. <laughs> let it begin with me. Change that you want to see in the world. You don't let that activism come from a core of anger. That's like a parent slapping the kid and say, don't hit other people. What's the matter with you? There's something wrong there, see? So, so it's not saying, oh, if you have peace of mind, you don't care about anything, don't do anything. No. Okay. That's, a, that's a bad, that's a wrong presentation of Eastern philosophy and Buddhism in particular. It requires a very deep introspection, the kind of self-honest, sincere self-reflection that's not, uh, it's penetrating, it's not casual or pleasant necessarily. Um, you, you, you live your life, that the power that power's coming out of you huh? that way. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, I've been forgetting to do the puns, and I'm going to do two today to brighten your your day with just because it's a little levity and lightheartedness, it doesn't mean superficiality in terms of the importance of humor in life. This is a sign, this is a pun, pun signs that uh, were spotted that were very humorous. Okay. Sign in a podiatrist's office. Time wounds all heals. <laughs> then the second one is to sign on a septic tank truck. Yesterday's meals on wheels. That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going. We have a humorous, smiling, funny, beautiful Easter day. Thank you.